Welcome to this week's Energy Show. We've talked a lot about residential solar, but there's a tremendous potential for commercial solar. It's a really big topic. So we're going to split this into two shows, one on the mechanics of doing commercial solar installations, and we're going to do another show on commercial solar financing. So this week, we're going to talk about the mechanics of installing solar photovoltaic system on your commercial roof. We're going to talk about the process, the equipment, and some of the key considerations that you have to keep in mind. So basically, when you talk about commercial solar, fly over any city in the U.S., you're going to see hundreds of commercial buildings with flat rooftops. They're empty. They're just basically power plants that have not yet been built. We're going to focus on particularly are the smaller commercial buildings. These are buildings that are 10,000 to 500,000 square feet. Not, not incredibly enormous, but they have enough roof space to generate all the power that's needed within the building. When you start talking about some of these really enormous warehouse buildings, they can actually generate more power on the roof than the building consumes, and then that gets kind of tricky. So this is about putting solar on your commercial building so you can generate all or most of the electricity that your building uses. Now, there's two reasons why there's not more commercial solar right now. And there's lots of potential, but you see how the residential market's taken off. Commercial's not taken off. The two reasons were, first, that financing was complicated and expensive. And that's changed now because there's some really good financing options that make it highly likely that your building's going to qualify. And second, the solar equipment was expensive. The paybacks were a long time. You want to shoot for paybacks that are you know, less than six or seven years, and, and it used to be the paybacks were really long. Now they were a lot shorter, A, because of the finance, and B, B because of the equipment and the installation costs are down. So these systems make the most sense when the owner of the building, who you know, hopefully we're talking about building owners here, are actually the occupants of the building. They benefit directly from the electricity savings by a reduced in electric bill. And, and in these cases, it's almost a no-brainer to put solar on these flat commercial roofs, especially in areas where electricity costs are high. When the building is leased to tenants, it still may make sense because there's a lot of common area charges in these buildings. And it may be that you want to put a smaller system on to offset the landlord's common area charges. Or in some cases, you may want to bill that electricity to tenants, and that's doable also. So key timing issue for this is that the investment tax credit is still in place and net metering is still really good. So with those two combinations, you're able to get paybacks down into the three to six year range and immediate positive cash flow. So here are the steps installing flat roof commercial solar on your building. First, we need to do a feasibility study, and that's basically an initial screening of taking a look at the building, making sure there's enough flat available roof space, making sure that the roof is in good, good condition, taking a look at the company's financial situation to make sure that there's enough profitability in the business so that the, the owner, so that you can take advantage of the tax credits because the tax credits are going to cover 30 to 50% of the cost of the system. And if you pay taxes, you get those credits. If you don't pay taxes or if you're a nonprofit or if you're losing money, you don't really get the benefit of that. So it's a big consideration. And then we want to make sure the owner is current on the property tax bills and there's no title disputes. That makes the financing really easy. And once you kind of get through those basic screens, you're good to go. So first, let's talk about 
the roof. It's almost always a flat roof. We can also do commercial systems on slope roofs. Typically, those buildings aren't quite as big. You know, you might be talking about a 25 or 50 kilowatt system on a slat, sloped composition or metal roof. But usually, we're talking about these big, white, flat roofs. Now, the roof really should be in good shape. We don't want to see any leaks up there because we don't want to put solar up on a roof where there's going to be leaks. They're going to have to be repaired. Now, those repairs are going to have to be done around the solar system. So, we want to avoid that. Now, in terms of the equipment that's installed on the roof, you look at these roofs, there's already HVAC equipment up there and and transformers and other things like that. So the roofs are generally designed to support a pretty good amount of weight. The weight from typical rack-mounted solar system is about two and a half to three pounds a square foot. So very manageable on most buildings. Some New buildings were very, very marginally designed just to support the weight of the roof and any snow or wind loads. So that in those cases, some reinforcement may need to be done or some engineering may need to be done. So going a little bit forward on looking at that roof, you want to make sure that you have some big open areas for the racking in the panels. It gets complicated and tricky to work around a lot of existing HVAC units and conduit and vents and skylights. So Those big accessible areas are what we're looking for, and that's going to reduce the cost and allow you to put in a bigger system. So if you've got a good roof, roof is in good shape, you got a lot of space, then now we can start talking about the equipment that can be mounted on the roof. So first of all, everybody's thinking about the solar panels. So what are some of the considerations for solar panels? I kind of divide it into three categories. The first is the price of the panel. The second is the efficiency of the panel. And then the third, which is important to some people, is where are these panels made? So you've heard me talk about this before, of the view that most solar panels are all about the same. There's more efficient panels, there's cheaper panels, there's black panels, there's white panels. But you know what? They all have a 25-year warranty. And my experience with the vast majority of manufacturers is they work. These things are going to keep cranking out power for 30 years or more. They've got a 25-year guarantee. And there's extremely, extremely rarely if there's ever, ever a problem. So it's not a matter of really sweating to figure out which manufacturer. It's really just kind of a matter of shopping around for the right commodity panel that you're looking for. Now, what's made commercial solar really cost-effective now is that the cost of the panels has come down a lot. It used to be that a single solar panel would cost about $1,000. They were priced at about $4 a watt. Now the price of these panels is down to below a dollar, in some cases around 75 cents a watt. So a cost of a single solar panel might be $200. Now, you've got a lot of other equipment that has to go into that, but you can see that this has been like almost a factor of four or five reduction in price. So that's kind of a key factor that's really tilted the market towards commercial solar. Now, as far as the color of the panel, the color of the frame, the back sheet, things like that, you know what? Nobody's ever going to see these solar panels except from an airplane. So my advice as far as the panels that you're going to use on your commercial roof is get the panels from a manufacturer that you've heard of or you trust that's going to result in the lowest system cost. No need to get the highest efficiency panels. No need to get the panels that have the longest durability because they're all going to be pretty good. Now, efficiency can be important 
if you have a space constrained roof. Now, some panels out there have efficiencies of 22%. That means that 22% of the incident light is converted into electricity. The rest goes into heat. Some panels are 19%. Some panels, they used to be 14 or 15%. So generally, the more efficient panels are going to produce more energy per square foot. And since the installation costs are typically dependent on the area, the number of square feet of the roof that you cover with solar, the more efficient panels are typically, on the average, going to cost a little bit less to install. The installation costs are going to be less. However, the more efficient panels are always more expensive. And that's just a, a rule that, that's been in the industry. So you know, we're looking at inexpensive 16, 17% efficient panels for 75, 80 cents a watt. And we're looking at 22% efficient panels that are sometimes a dollar thirty or dollar forty watt. It's like it could be almost twice as much money for a five percent more efficiency. And that may be useful if you have a space constrained roof, but in most cases doesn't matter. So there's no need to get the highest efficiency panels, and that's why the vast majority of commercial projects that we see out there use medium, or even low-efficiency panels. And that's just going to result in better ROI, better cost-effectiveness for the overall system. Now, the third consideration, this is something that's come up over the past four or five years, is finding panels that are made in the USA. A lot of companies are, obviously, they're based here. They may be doing manufacturing or, or they may have an office, uh, maybe light office work or whatever. And it's nice to have panels that are made actually in the USA. There's a few manufacturers of solar panels in the USA. Most of them are on the West Coast. The industry used to be dominated by Chinese manufacturers. But because the U.S. manufacturing costs have been reduced because of transportation costs from Asia and higher labor rates in Asia, and because of some tariffs that are in place for overseas manufacturers, the result is that the price premium for made-in-the-USA panels is much less. It used to be like 30 or 40 cents a watt. Now it can be down around 4 or 5 cents a watt or maybe even less. So it's really good to see a little bit of a rebirth in made-in-the-USA solar panels, and you've got some choices there now, which is good. And obviously you're going to have choices of low-efficiency, high-efficiency, inexpensive or more expensive panels. All right, so you've got the solar panels, and we kind of know that there's room on the roof. The next big cost component before we get to the racking and the labor. The next big cost component are the inverters. And the inverters are what convert the DC power that's generated in the solar panels into AC power. It used to be for commercial, we would install one big central inverter. A 100-kilowatt system would have one big 100-kilowatt inverter. And this inverter was delivered on, on a pallet. We needed forklifts to load it, unload it. We needed to pour a concrete pad to install the inverter. It required combiner boxes and a lot of extra equipment to connect it, to wire it. And at the end result, it ended up being, although relatively inexpensive for the inverter itself, the whole installation was fairly expensive for these big central inverters. And what's worse is that these big central inverters basically represented a single point of failure. If there was a problem with the inverter, say a 100-kilowatt inverter on a 100-kilowatt system, your whole system was out could be for weeks because it's not like they can send out a technician and pop a new fuse in there or just replace a part. These things were sometimes custom built. So even though the big central inverters were fairly reliable, when they went out, 
and they all you know, have a certain lifetime, the whole system would be out. So as a result, just like in residential systems where the trend has been towards microinverters, the trend for commercial system, not necessarily towards microinverters, but towards multiple smaller inverters. So for a 25 kilowatt small commercial system, we may install three 8 kilowatt inverters. And these inverters are fairly small. You can kind of tuck them anywhere. You don't need any special equipment. For a 100 kilowatt system, you know, which is also kind of on the small side of commercial, we may install eight 12 kilowatt inverters or four 25 kilowatt inverters. And once again, these smaller inverters can be wall mounted and they don't require as complicated mounting. Basically, the installation cost is less. And what I really like is the reliability of multiple small inverters compared to one big inverter is much, much better. Because if one of these 12 kilowatt inverters goes out, you're only out, your system's only down by about 8%. And those inverters can be fixed very, very quickly. It's just swapping out a part. All right, so we talked about the panels, the inverters, the roof. The next big consideration is the racking and the roof attachments. And this is where it really gets tricky. We're talking about flat commercial roofs. And there's basically two ways to do a flat roof installation. The first traditional way is with a rack-mounted system with roof penetrations. So basically, you'll have stanchions and you'll build racks on those and you'll have a tilt-up system. The second way is with a ballasted system. And this is where you have panels that are relatively flat, say 5 or 10 degrees, and then you have a system of ballasts, typically concrete or concrete blocks, that provide extra weight to keep these low-tilt panels from blowing away. And you have wind deflectors behind the panels so that when wind is coming from, say, the north side, it doesn't lift up the panels and blow them away. So the big advantage of ballasted systems is that the roof membrane, whether it's a membrane roof or some kind of rolled out composition or a tar and gravel roof, the roof membrane doesn't have to be penetrated. The uh, Some padding is put down and then the ballasted system is put down and then the panels are mounted on top of the ballasted system. So there's no puncture or penetrations in the roof membrane. The disadvantage of ballasted systems is that there's a lot of extra weight necessary on the roof, particularly in the corners and the edges of the array where you have the highest degree of wind uplift forces. And that extra weight is kind of complicated because you have to do some structural calculations on the roof to make sure that the roof can really support this extra weight. Another kind of consideration with these ballasted systems is if there is a leak, and, you know, roof leaks will still happen. Roofs don't last forever. It can be problematic to find out where that leak is because now you've got solar panels and ballasted pans mounted everywhere. So especially with ballasted systems, you want to make sure that the roof is in really, really good shape and that the building can support it. So with rack-mounted systems, as I mentioned, we're still putting stanchions in the roof, through the roofing material, through the tar and gravel, or through the, the membrane roof, into the rafters or the purlins below. And then typically what happens is the installer has the roofer seal up those attachments so that they're not going to leak. And the racking is then built to support the panels above, and the panels are attached on that racking. So it's a reliable way of doing the installations with these rack mount systems, but you have some penetration. So now here we are, we're based in San Jose and we're talking about systems um, mostly going on in West Coast in California. And California, it's a fairly easy choice as to what kind of system to install for a medium or small commercial roof. And the reason is that in California, we have statewide 
seismic requirements. So all roofing equipment must be secured in case of an earthquake, even the ballasted systems. So these requirements are there in place to make sure that if there's an earthquake, the solar panels don't kind of dance off the system and land on somebody's head. You know, I kind of sometimes find that to be a little bit of a stretch, but those are the requirements. So what you need to do for ballasted systems, even systems that don't penetrate the roof, is you still need to penetrate the roof to hold them down in terms of seismic. So what we would do for these flat roof ballasted systems is we would still put in a number of roof attachments and then tie all of the ballast pans down with cables or with some kind of metal strut. So at the end of the day, since you still have to penetrate the roof with stanchions, what we found is that it's easier in California just to put in a typical rack-mounted system and not even generally bother with a ballasted system because you're going to have so many issues with these local seismic requirements. So here in California, here in San Jose, we just use a fairly straightforward rack-mounted system, and then we work with the building's roofer, the owner's roofer, to make sure that everything's sealed up and the roofer's going to provide a guarantee on it. It's a lot simpler. So a few more considerations here. Let's talk a little bit about monitoring. It's always a good idea to have monitoring, and I kind of like monitoring. The bigger the system, the more energy you're going to be losing if there's a problem, and therefore the more important monitoring it is. The monitoring, if it's on multiple small inverters, is easy. Each one of these inverters is wired up usually with an Ethernet cable, and then that Ethernet cable goes to a gateway that is supplied by the inverter manufacturer, and all manufacturers have their own gateway. And then this gateway listens to the performance of all the inverters, knows kind of what the performance should be, and uploads data to the inverter company's website. And then you as the building owner and the installer, if they're monitoring it, can see that everything's working properly. And if one of the inverters fails, then there's some notification that goes out and a service call is initiated. And we get these service calls pretty much on a weekly basis from residential and commercial customers that we have in the area. And it's a fairly easy thing for us to look at the monitoring, get an idea of what the issue is, drive out, take a look at the inverter. And especially for older systems that we installed, say 10 years ago, time for the inverter to be replaced. We get a replacement and then the customer is usually up and running in a couple of weeks. So it's pretty straightforward. So monitoring, very, very good idea. And that's even more important on commercial systems. So when we talk about monitoring, the next, that implies that there's going to be some maintenance involved. And we're going to talk about maintenance really in two areas. First, When it doesn't rain, if you're in a dirty area or a dusty area or really dry conditions, the dirt that accumulates on the panel is going to pretty significantly decrease the output. I mean, we've seen output degradations as much as 20%. So you don't want to be losing 20% of your energy collection in the summer if your solar panels are really dirty. So periodically, it's a good idea to get those panels clean. Now, if it rains really hard, and you know we have been getting some good rain here in San Jose just fairly recently, that's going to do a pretty good job of cleaning the panels, but it hasn't really rained like that in eight or nine months. So during the summer, there was a, a little bit of 
And if you had dirty panels, in the summer, you'd see a degradation in output. So as far as the ability of the rain to clean the panels, the rain cleans the panels better if the panels are tilted up at 10 degrees or more. If the panels are 5 degrees or sometimes even flat, you got a big accumulation of dirt and debris and mud on there. I've even seen moss and grass growing on panels that haven't been cleaned. So it's a good idea to make sure that the panels are cleaned periodically. The other thing that's going to happen pretty inevitably is inverters have a lifespan of 10 to 15 years, and that's the warranty period of the inverters. After the warranties expire, they're going to usually die. And as I mentioned, we're regularly doing repairs of systems that I installed 15 years ago. Not a big deal for these smaller inverters. It's just a matter of seeing when it's out. Monitoring indicates there's a failure. We send a crew out. In a week, it's up and running again. So in terms of the maintenance, we like to budget one or two cents a watt of of the total cost of the installation on an annual basis for this maintenance. And the maintenance is mostly replacing inverters sometime in midlife for the system and then maybe cleaning the panels if they need it. Now, another thing you might ask about is battery storage. What about battery storage? Does battery storage make sense for your commercial building? Well, there's a lot of hype about it. And with the current electric rates, with current net metering, batteries really aren't needed. We don't need to store our own energy and then use it at night because we can run the meter backwards during the day. But For large commercial customers, it might make sense to have some kind of storage to reduce your peak demand. Most California utilities have something called demand charges. So here in PG&E territory, the A10 rate has a demand charge of about $15.5 per kilowatt. So say you normally use 100 kilowatts of power. This isn't energy, this is power. 100 kilowatts of power in the summer. Your demand charge for that month would be 100 times 15. It's about $1,500. But on a hot day, may have all the air conditioners going and all the lighting may be on in your building. These compressors may all turn on at once. And you may have a spike in your demand to 200 kilowatts. Suddenly, in that month, your peak demand charge would have gone from 1500 to $3,000. And there are battery storage systems that can be used to reduce this peak demand charge. Basically, the way it works is you keep the batteries charged, and when the demand spikes and there's sensors that say, up, oh, we're going from 100 kilowatts and it's up to 150 to 200, let's start drawing power out of the battery so that we can avoid those peak demand charges. Now, these peak demand reduction systems are still at a fairly early stage. Batteries are still fairly expensive, but there's some incentives out there. And if you have a big commercial building, it might be worth looking into. All right. So we talked about the equipment. Another big consideration is finding an installer that has the staying power and the experience. These are things that you want to consider so that your installation goes as smoothly as it can be. And they don't always go perfectly. There's usually glitches. There's unseen conditions. But installers that have experience that have been around for years have overcome a lot of these obstacles. And it's also more likely that they're going to be there to support and maintain your system. They understand the long-term reliability and maintenance. And then these experienced installers understand some of the tricky issues involved with permitting a commercial system and going through the utility paperwork for commercial systems. And finally, you want to find an installer that is astute enough so that they can crunch the financial numbers with the financing and help communicate with the building owner and with the accountant and the tax experts. So my recommendations, you know, just in summary, commercial solar is really seeing a rebirth and it's very encouraging. The equipment costs are lower. The installation costs are lower. There's some really great financing options, particularly PACE, 
property that says clean energy, and we're going to talk about that in another show, and bank loans. And most importantly, net metering is still in effect till sometime in 2016, mid to late 2016, and the ITC is still at 30%. So those two incentives, net metering and the ITC, are still in place. They will go away at the end of 2016. So now is the best time to really evaluate solar for your commercial roof. And I'd say by mid-2016, you know, six or seven months from now, all the good, experienced solar companies are going to be pretty booked trying to hit their end-of-the-year deadlines. So that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 